face. See? Ask and you shall receive. Anyway, it's such a worldwide event that you know, if you're honest with yourself, that it affects you. Uh, no one is immune to what's going on. So in times like that, uh, there is uh, a term, I think, that uh, that affects every one of us. You should think this this way. It's, a, it's actually all through the Bible, sometimes in different wording, but it is this term. Consider your ways. At a time like this, it's, it's a good idea to do that. Consider your ways. And the word ways is your journey. You know, the, your path through life. Um, your course of life. How do you live life? And what type of morality, your moral, moral characters do you have in your life? So consider your ways. Uh, it's an inventory time. And again, it is, I think it's obviously a big time because it affects the entire world. Is it just unique to some person or a group of people? Um, what does it mean? I mean, what has actually happened here? We talked about that last week. Actually, the last two weeks we've been talking about it. Two weeks ago, I did a sermon on repentance. Uh, if you didn't hear that, you should go listen to that because it is definitely a word for the, the presence that we're in. Uh, <clears throat> so, what does this coronavirus seem to be? <coughs> Excuse me. One thing I think that we, we asked the question last week, is this the end? You know, does this mean, well, my Lord, Jesus is coming back next week and uh, everybody run out there and get ready. It doesn't seem to be that way. In fact, it's, it's a crazy uh, sense of peace uh, that I get, well-being. I don't feel freaked out at all. Maybe I'm too close to the end. I don't know. I know I'm in the checkout line. As a, I've been mocking all the people over 60 with it. But, uh, you know, I, I feel fine. I feel like everything's going to be okay. Um, I know that, you know, this is, this is hard for some people. But what about the Christians? You know, what's it supposed to say to us? This is what I feel like the Lord is saying, that this is a test. This is just a trial run for the coming attractions of the end. I mean, there are things that are, that are about to take place that will be the real deal. And you're getting a, uh, like a dress rehearsal, in a sense, of what, uh, what it's like when the whole world is shaken. And we talked about that last week. The shaking has begun. It started in the church, uh, over a year and a half ago. And individually, we have been shaken in the church. Well, now he's moving into the world. And you can tell what happens when people are shaken. They do stuff. So, uh, in that time, uh, the shaking does uh, two things. It divides people into groups, and it reveals, reveals who you serve, one thing, and who you, whose you are. It divides and it reveals our spiritual condition. Now, the question I have for all of us, especially in the church, if this was the real deal, if we were really entering into the last time where, I mean, it's on and there's no turning back. Can you say that you are in a kind of condition that you would want to be in? If this was the last call, would are you where you want to be? Just be honest with yourself because you're dealing with your eternity. I mean, I don't know if you get a bigger issue than that issue. So. Uh, what divisions do we see are going on? Uh, basically, it's the sheep and the goats kind of thing. You know, you got one group that are sheep, they're, they're born again Christians, and you have the other group that are not. What's interesting to me about that, that parable that Jesus gave, the sheep and the goats, is everyone called him Lord. Isn't that weird? They all thought they were fine. Those that weren't fine, they could say, well, when did we not do the right thing, Lord? Those who were fine said, well, Lord, when did we do the right thing? So we were all kind of in the same boat, but, I mean, isn't that amazing? They thought they were fine, and they weren't. So it's a wake-up call. Now, let's just assume for a moment that you, th- you feel like you're in the church, you know, that you're a Christian. i got to dig a little deeper because I think this is like a refining fire. You know, a refiner, he fires gold or silver. He does it in layers. You know, you do a, a one level of it, and it, this dross comes up. You wipe it off. 
But you're not over. It's not finished. You could do it again. You ain't wait a while, or you can do it right there. You can do it again and again and again until you finally get down to where this thing is pure. But it takes several firings of the thing, several uh, iterations of the process to get down to where it's pure. Now, what we would like to be is a church that is described in the book of Revelation as the Philadelphian church. There are seven that are mentioned in that book. Five of them are not in good shape. He says, I have this against you. And so repent and do what, you know, he, he mentions that you should change. One church, he says, you're doing pretty good, but I still have to take you through some tribulation or through some testing to get you to where you, I want you to be. So they were in pretty good shape, but they had not yet finished their trial, their testing. The church of Philadelphia had. He says, because you kept the, the, my word to persevere, I will keep you from the, the our trial that's coming upon the whole earth. I want to be in that group. That's the group that lives in Psalm 91. They live there. So when trouble comes, it doesn't freak them out. They know where they are. They really know it. There's no question about it. Now, so you got the groups. And the shaking determines, you know, where you really are. And so I'll consider your ways. Look at what's going on with you and ask the question, is this where I should be? Now, if the Christians, uh, if anyone has the answer to what's going on, it should be the Christians. They should not be shaken. In fact, in Hebrews it says he shakes everything so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. The kingdom cannot be shaken. God's people who are really walking with him through perseverance cannot be shaken. All right? So they should have the answer to what goes on around us, like right now. Last week, we kind of initiated some of that. We began to pray the way Christians are supposed to pray. Everybody knows Second Chronicles 7 or 6, whatever it is, where Solomon dedicated the temple. We read that, uh, the version of that that was in First Kings or Second Kings, one of the kings. Solomon prayed a covenantal prayer. And in that covenantal prayer, he says, if your people, when stuff starts to happen, shakings of any sort, famine, war, pestilence, which we got into, which is like a worldwide pandemic, we're in one. What should you do? He mentions it in the Bible. Well, then you should pray. And here's how you pray. And he really narrows it down. He says, if anyone prays, just one person, or all pray, do the same thing. Hear from heaven. Forgive us and heal us. And he'll do that. You know, the, the Bible says that the, the Spirit of God, the eyes of the Lord, they roam throughout the entire earth looking for someone. If it's just one person that he can show himself strong on behalf of, God will do amazing things. So if anyone prays, or if everyone prays, God will answer. And we ask God to do that. Now, it wasn't some willy-nilly, oh, bless everybody type prayer. It wasn't that at all. It was a prayer of discernment. And here's how the prayer of discernment goes. It's the same kind of prayer that Abraham prayed when he was faced with the reality that God came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. His brother, his uh, cousin, wasn't it? Was or nephew Lot was in those cities, and so Abraham began a covenantal prayer with God. It's right, God, that you would spare the righteous if you have to destroy anything, destroy the wicked, but spare the righteous. Would the God of Israel not do the right thing? Don't destroy because there's wrong things. If there's righteous people there. And he got him down to, if there's just ten righteous in those two cities, you wouldn't spare them. You would spare them. You would not destroy both those cities for ten righteous men. But there wasn't. There was just Lot and his family. And so God delivered them and then destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. But the prayer that Abraham prayed was the prayer we prayed last Sunday. God, if you must judge, then to save the people, to save your holy name, spare the righteous. And if you must judge and even kill some, only as much as necessary to turn the people. 
That's the kind of prayer that you should be praying. And we prayed that last time. Now, I want you to grow up. We live in a time where it's just not acceptable to be anything but what we call politically correct. Rain on that, guys. I mean, we got to get past that. We got to be right in what we say. And if something is not right, then we got to be able to say, that's not right. So I want you to note something here. If what I'm saying is correct, if the shaking is going on so that we can see who is walking with God and who isn't, then just open your eyes and observe. Would you please observe with me right now? And would you please note where this coronavirus has begun to center itself? May I mention a few of them without being axed off of Facebook Live right now? <laughs> I'll just mention where they, where, the, where this seems to be exploding. New York City, in some around, around half the cases in America are there in that greater area. Uh, Washington State, specifically Seattle. Anybody know anything about Seattle? You got a woo of the three people that are here? That is a liberal place, man, and they don't like God. They flaunt it, too. Sorry, but that's where it started in America, isn't it? How about uh, California? Any problems in California? Concerning God. And then New Orleans. Dum de dum dum. Do y'all remember in 2005 there was a hurricane that came through there? Katrina? Did you like the response that you saw on TV from those people? Man, they weren't thankful for help. They were asking, well, how come you didn't deliver it the way I wanted to, when I wanted to, how I wanted it? I mean, it was a, it was an arrogance, uh, a lack of thanksgiving, uh, just a, what? People were trying to help them, and, and, and the attitude they got back was not Christian. And we all, and people were afraid. In fact, I think there were some people, I won't mention any names, that actually said, called it out and said, that was a judgment of God. Oh, you can't say that. I said that. Why could you say that? Well, politically correct. God wouldn't do that. Well, who did that? Now we wonder, don't we? Because here we are again. Did they get the message? Here it comes again. Well, what about New York City? Let's go there. Y'all remember, uh, oh, maybe you don't remember, but you remember 9-11. Well, look, think about this now. This year, on January the 22nd, of course, on January 31st is when Trump stopped all the travel to China, right? That's when it became real. But nine days before, January 22nd, the state assembly in New York state passed the most liberal abortion law that is out there. You can abort to the day of their birth. And there was a great celebration around the state. The governor, Como, Announced and, and did that the one tr- world trade center would be lit up in peak to celebrate this law. Is that crazy? Why pink? Because it's a girl? <laughs> you know, this is bad. And it was, to me it was flaunting this thing. Alright, so what, is there anything that we can gather from what happened there? All right. First of all, let's look at where he did this. He lit up one World Trade Center. Do y'all know what that is? That's the building that replaced the World Trade Center that got blew, blown up in, in, in 9-11. Y'all remember the book, The Harbinger, by Joseph Kahn? He wrote about what they did. Turn over to me to Isaiah 9. When they said, uh, when this thing got destroyed, the leadership, I can't remember who it was, but I think it might have been the the president, but I could be wrong. I'm for sure governor, mayor, whoever, quoted a scripture about what they were going to do in response to 9-11. Who? Might have been Bloomberg, because I think he was a 
the governor during that, I mean the uh, mayor during that time. And he quoted this scripture out of the book of Isaiah as a rallying cry for them to build the building back. So let's pick it up in verse uh, 10. This is what they quoted. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. That was the rallying cry. What, and this book was written by this Joseph Kahn to respond to it. They had no idea what they were doing. They were calling out judgment on themselves. In fact, they missed the point of this scripture. Let's back up, get the point of the whole scripture. Verse 8. The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. So how, it was a response to judgment. There was an, ah, it ain't going to affect me. So it was 9-11 a judgment. I think so. And it was our response, the kind that God is looking for. I don't think so. Because look what he says. Because you reacted this way, look at verse 11. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of Rezin against him and spur his enemies on. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off head and tail from Israel, palm branch and bulrush in one day. The elder and the honorable, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore, the Lord shall have, an, uh, have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks volley. For all this, his anger is not turned away. My, my, my. And it just keeps going. But that's enough, isn't it? So you got to wonder, don't you? They, they set this thing up. They built this amazing building called, get this, the One World Trade Center. That's the one that they lit up in pink. You got something? Okay. Yeah, the, the vice president came. I remember that. So, uh, and they all rallied to it. So, flash forward. Now, here we are. 20 years later, almost. And here comes this abortion law. And to celebrate it, they take the, the object of their arrogance and pride over the first judgment, and they light it up with pink. Do you think God noticed? And so here comes the, the, the fullness of this coronavirus. It sits right there. Have they repented? Nope. And the floggings will continue until morale improves. I mean, so just look where this goes, folks. And, and we're not... I don't think we should get into a haughty spirit. You know, oh, we're not that way. Get ready. It'll come your way then. You should be very humble right now, but, but open up your eyes. There is a difference. There really is a difference. And Malachi said, we read this last week. In that day, when I make up, up my Christians for my jewels, you will see those who serve God and those who don't. You will see it. You're starting to see it right now. Well, after they t- had lit this thing up, let's just look at the timeline here. Then on January 31st, you know, like three weeks after they do the pass the law, Trump bans the travel to, to China. Do you know what their response was? Overreaction, you're racist. Exactly. They mocked him. Well, we're not, we're not like anybody. We're New York. And they got their leadership out there and said, oh, we're having a big old Chinese New Year celebration. Everybody show up in Chinatown. Don't worry about what Trump said. Everybody show up and have a, a party. And I mean, leaders all over that stupid city were calling for people to get together. Let's just keep on keeping on. Does anybody call that out? Maybe we should. For their sake. I'm not kidding. For their sake. So they mock him on February the 9th. They have their, their big 
party at the, at the Chinatown thing. Isn't that weird? They come from China, they go to Chinatown. That's smart. March 1st, which is what, another three weeks later? The first case of the coronavirus shows up in New York City. By March 7th, they have a state of emergency. And today, over 50% of all the cases are there. Now, what do y'all think? Am I being mean? If I'm, if you're not sure than God, I'm being mean. That's an inside joke. So, I go back to the point. Consider your ways. I mean, look at what is happening. Not what's being predicted or whitewashed. What really is going on? So, Isaiah 1. How does God react to that? Consider your ways. You'll find that message all over the Bible in different ways of saying it. You know, he's, he says it many times. Consider your ways. In Isaiah 1, we, we, we see this is Israel before they go into captivity, but they're obviously not doing right. And so God has tried to warn them and, you know, hey, stop it. In fact, let's just look at the state of their being in verse 7. Look at the first line in verse 7 of chapter 1. Your country is desolate. That ought to be enough. Just, is the country desolate right here or not? And driving over here, both of you people, was it weird? It's like Christmas or something. There's nobody on the streets. You could probably, you know, speed if you wanted to. Not, not that anybody would do that around here, but my Lord, there's nobody out there. It's crazy. It's like somebody bombed the place and there, no one's here. Your country is desolate. And to back that up, he, he looks at them and he says, uh, he says, saying, okay, if your country is desolate, let's ask the obvious question. Let's back up to verse 5. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. And here's our condition. The condition our condition is in. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up, nor soothed with ointment. In other words, they need healing, and they even would refuse to be healed. So that's why your country is desolate. What's the root of it? How did we get to this state of stricken again and sick everywhere? Just back up to the beginning of the chapter, starting verse 2. Here's the point. Here's where God's come trying to go to. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children. So look at the relationship. There's a relationship of fathers, sons. I have nourished and brought up children. And they have rebelled against me. That word rebelled is this Hebrew word, pasha. It means transgression. Transgression. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation. So there's another word to look at, sin. Transgression, sin. In fact, transgression is the fruit of, I mean, sin is the fruit of transgression. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. That's the third thing, iniquity, sin, transgression. A brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel, and they have turned away backward. So everything is sick, and your country is desolate. Now I want to focus on three things here in this scripture. That's what causes us to be sick. Those three words, iniquity, transgression, and sin. So it's like a tree, the tree of evil that grows in our lives. The, the root of it, the seed, the root, is iniquity. Iniquity. That word means without law. It means to distort things, to twist it. So what you start with is something that's true, and you, you twist it. 
And you use it for a reason that it was never intended to be. So uh, I'll tell you an example of that was uh, the Garden of Eden. You know, he comes to her and says, now, did God say you'll surely die? He takes that God did, God did say that. But he twists it. And, and, and she says, well, he said, don't touch it either. God didn't say that. A little twist. And you can see how it works. You say, don't, don't eat of this, these pair of glasses. And she says, and nor touch it. Susan, would you please touch that? Oh my God! Oh my God! She didn't eat it, but she did touch it. That's not even in there. You twist it. Okay? So the root of the thing is iniquity. The plant that grows up, the evil thing plant is transgression, Peshaw. And then the fruit of that is sin. Deeds that you do that are, you're missing the mark of your calling. Now I want to talk about transgression for a minute. It means, here's what transgression does. You know, it, it's, uh, it's rebellion. So I, I, I have this, this seed in me, this root. And if finally I say, you know what? I really don't want to do what God said. I want to not only touch that thing, I want to eat it. And I'll do what I want to do. Okay? So you rebel. And by doing this, you breach the relationship. What happened when Adam and Eve were in transgression? They ran and hid from God, and it broke the relationship. The communion, communion they had with God was broken that day. And that's why he said, I'm a father. You're my children. You're breaking our relationship with this stuff. So they breached the relationship, and they become independent. Now, we're going to get around to some of this stuff a little bit later. Just look around. See what, see what you see. The, the fruits of, of transgression create this attitude. This attitude spawns deceit, a distorted love for independence from God. Now think about the New York thing. Why pink? Yeah. And you know what? Oh, I, it's, God shouldn't care that I kill my baby. Even if it was God who gave the baby. Independence from God. And you know, literally, and why pink? Well, pink is the color of women. Independence from their husband. I, I don't need a man. I'll do what I want to do. So we'll celebrate our independence from authority, really. That's what it comes down to. So it's just too much independence from God and a rigid refusal to be corrected. You will not be corrected. You know, this, I believe this and this is the way it is. Well, the Bible says, I don't care. This is what I believe. And it loves strife. So what do you do? Well, what does God do? He got a relationship that's been broken because of this. He has two options. He can either destroy them. He can punish them to the point of destroying them. Or he can restore the relationship. I mean, what else are you going to do? You got two choices that God does. And so he, he moves on us and basically makes us a part of that choice. Look at the end of this chapter, chapter one, Isaiah. Look at the start in verse 18. You see him do this. And it goes right back to the, Consider your ways, because the first thing he says, come now, verse 18, and let us reason together. So let's consider what's really going on here. And so here's what he says about reasoning together. Though your sins are like scarlet, no game plan here. We're just going to tell you the truth. They are sins, and they're just that bad, like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Now that's a deal. Who would refuse that deal? You'd be amazed who would refuse that deal. Though they are as red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And here's the the catch. Here's why we don't. If you, the people, are willing and obedient, orthos, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, transgress, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So he gives you the option to walk with him in the choice that's made. You can be willing and obedient, 
Don't, don't leave that obedient part of it, okay? That he's going to bless you. But if you want to keep on keeping on, and I don't know what they're going to do next in New York City or in New Orleans or wherever, you just keep it up. And he's just saying, why will you be stricken anymore? There's no end to this. All right, so he wants to, he wants to turn us. Now these attitude, y'all remember the attitude part, uh, this insolent, you can't tell me, how many of you in this Facebook live world have ever had a teenager? That's the attitude I'm talking about, especially teenage girls. There ain't nothing like a teenage girl. Nice. I'm not picking on, you know, I've had boys and girls. I've been around church. <laughs> and what I find is the women are usually the ones that will say, that's right. Good grief. And deceit that can come out of that. And they get a smiling face and just sweet eyes and lie like a dog. Am I right? Okay. <laughs> you know, it's true. It's true. That's the attitude. And I'm amazing. God did just smoke us. Because I know when I had went through all that, I only had two options, either try to ignore it <laughs> or run because I would kill if I stayed. Anyway, God wants us to, uh, to walk with him. Here's how he does it. Look over in uh, Ezekiel. Here's how he deals with transgression. Ezekiel. This book exists because the people in Isaiah didn't get the message. Now they are in captivity. It's like a hundred years later. And there they are in captivity. So God's trying to address them again. Now I want to start in the middle of, of a scripture here, but it shows you something here and we'll get to the point of transgression here in a second. I'm sorry, 18. Ezekiel 18. And uh, God is addressing his people who are now in captivity. Verse 26. We'll get this kind of in the middle of something here. but um, He says this. When a righteous man... So I'm speaking, you know, the shaking. We got Christians and then the, the rest of them. I'm talk, speaking to the Christians now. Those who are in the place they ought to be. So here's your warning, all right? And there should be a warning. I mean, nobody should be to the point where they feel like they've got this thing made. Even Paul said, man, I don't count myself to obtain anything here. When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, in other words, goes back to his root ways, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. All right. That lawless thing. So everyone, when you get born again, you have, you know, you had that old man thing. It's still in you, by the way. Have y'all noticed? Romans 7. There's nothing good that lives in me. You know, Larry is not good. Now the Christian guy that lives in there in Jesus Christ, he's good. So I got to deal with the, the, the iniquity side and, and, and the recreated side all the time. You know, which one will you choose to let live? Well, it's the one you feed. The dog that you feed is the one that is the dominant one. Some bad feeding here lately. So when a, wicked, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and he dies in it, it's because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, verse 27, Ezekiel 18. When a wicked man, all these people out there who don't know God, when they turn away from the wickedness which he has committed, and this is God's goal with all this going on, is to turn them. Just like John the Baptist. Y'all repent and turn. When they turn and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he has committed he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? 
Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. So you consider your ways. Repent. Here's what you should do. Everybody should do this, especially those that are walking in their iniquity. Repent. And turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. So, you know, guys, if you're going to kill something in you, the, the, the sinful way in you, the way God does it, he goes from the outside in. You know, everybody knows what their sin is, right? I mean, you should know what your sin is by now. This is the thing that, you know, that I know I should not do. I know I shouldn't break the speeding law. Why? Because the law says, <laughs> that good law. So he starts from the outside just saying, stop it. He got down to me and saying this, right, God, I'm going to quit running to the stop signs. And the only way I could do it was say, okay, I will meet you at the stop sign. I would stop at a stop sign and the Holy Spirit would show up. I thought, this is too cool. Beforehand, I was too quick out of there for the Holy Spirit to see anything. You know, right through it. So he stopped it. Stopped doing the illegal thing. Then to the transgression. Okay? The part that produces the sin. Your, your attitude. Your attitude. Well, I'm a Christian. I don't have to keep the law. Oh, brother. And then down to the root. The part that drives it all. You know, you chop the weed off, but if you don't get the root out, here comes the weed back. So he says, I want you to stop your transgressions, your attitude. It'll, the sin will go. Stop your transgressions so that that iniquity, that root, won't be your ruin. You know, the Bible is very clear. The dog returns to his vomit. The sow to its washing in the, in the, in the mud. So if you're going to, that's attitude. If you're going to be a dog, feed yourself. It's all about you, 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 you. Then you're going to go back to that bad lifestyle. That root will get you. It'll be your ruin. Amen? Are y'all hearing this? Okay, so he says, don't do it. Just turn away from it. Repent. Call it out. Say, this was wrong. I'm wrong. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Does anyone think that going into grocery stores every day and buying every dadgum piece of toilet paper and bread and eggs that's there, do you think that is of God? I mean, honestly. Is hoarding of God? Well, I'm just being smart. No, you're not being smart. You're being disobedient. Your attitude is going to get you in trouble. And I can go on and on and on. I got a lot of these. This blows my mind. And they just, you can't get to them. They're stubborn. As a matter of fact, there's an issue here. Uh, we'll get to it. Verse 31. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die? So when he says this, you go through these processes, your goal is to get a new heart. Get a new spirit about you. Holy Spirit. Now, when he gets down to a level like that, gets you a new heart, gets you a new spirit, to me, he is hinting around, I want to go deep. I want to go inside your heart. And I want to show it to you. Y'all do remember Psalm 139. Search my heart, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me and turn me back. Amen? That's what's going on. So I want you to get a new heart. Well, open it up. Say, all right, God, I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't give a rip. Me and you, that's what matters to me. So I'm willing, and then we're going to find out if I'm obedient. Amen? And don't tell him you love him and then don't obey him. That offends God, by the way. Read the book of John. 
All right, so we want to get a new heart. And part of this is just casting away the transgressions. And it'll, it'll, it'll get us to where we want to go. Because look over Amos 3.14. Amos 3.14. When he says new heart, new spirit, there's something deeper he wants to go to. It is, what it is, is just your root. <laughs> Page 1292. <laughs> that came from the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure what he was saying there. Amos 1290. I mean, <laughs> Amos 3 14. God says, In the day that I punish Israel for their transgressions. All right, so we're, again, we're talking about the transgressions. The thing that breaches your relationship with God, it breaks it. In the day that he's going to visit that deal, look what else he says I want to do. I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. What does that mean? In the day that he punishes Israel for their transgressions, what breaks the relationship, he says, I'm also, hey, by the way, I'm going to Bethel, and I'm going to find what I find. You ever had one of those moments with God? I'm going to, I'm coming in. Let's go back to the teenage girls. You're spraying a a surprise visit to their bedroom or their closet. I'm going to find what I find. You know, oh my God, don't look under the bed. How many of you have ever been pulled over on on the streets by a cop and hope the heck they don't search your car? Yep, we know what we're talking about. I want to find what I find. So it says, when I when I punish the transgression thing, I'm going to Bethel. Bethel should be a good place. Isn't that where Abraham did his deal with God? House of God, house of bread. Bethel. That's where you put where you're supposed to build your altar. Isn't that where someone built an altar? Lot did, not a lot, Isaac. Built an altar to God, made a covenant with God. This is a special place. So why would God visit that special place? Because there was a king named Jeroboam. He didn't like the way things were being run. He split off from Israel. He split Israel away from the the greater nation of Israel. and made it Judah and Israel, two nations. He was a rebel. And he built golden calves at the altar of Bethel. And told the people... Don't worship God in Jerusalem. Worship God here. So what are golden calves? Sounds like idols to me. So when I come at the transgression, I'm coming at your God. Amen? Bum, be no bum. So what is an idol? What is an idol? Look over in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. This is the message you know, when God finally established a king, his name was Saul, because the people wanted it. He had one command for him. I want you to go, and I want you to find this nation called Amalek. They are my enemies. God said they're my enemies. I want you to destroy them. I want you to kill them all. Kill them all. Don't let anything that breathes, breathe again. Animals, grasshoppers. I mean, to kill them all. And he didn't do it. He kept the best ones for himself and for the people. He had all these excuses. So this is a message. Now get this. This is a king. This is a message to all you Christians who want to be kings and priests to our God. That's what we're called to be. You want to be a king and a priest to our God? You better read this and do what this is hinting at. When Samuel shows up and, and he finds out that they did not destroy all of it, they obeyed some. And let me tell you what, partial obedience is disobedience. Don't play games here. <laughs> you can play games with your heavenly dad, I mean your, your earthly dad, all you want to, and your mama. I mean, she's going to believe you. Crazy women. Don't play games with your heavenly father. He sees everything. He ain't hiding nothing. So here comes the prophet of God, verse 22, Samuel says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? That's why he kept some of the stuff alive, so he could have a burnt offering and give God a tip. Does he have as much sacri- delight in that 
as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You remember the scripture in Isaiah, if you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Does God have great blessing and delight in, in, in us giving him a tip? Nope. But in obeying him, that's what he likes. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Look at verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, I'm telling you what, witchcraft is the way you, you operate with your God, the devil. So who is your God? When you operate in rebellion, stop at the stop sign for God's sake. You know what I mean? You are dealing with witchcraft. You're letting Satan come in here and have a run. Light the dadgum tire up that's an affront to God in the first place and make it peak. Great idea. What's next on your list of good ideas? Blame someone else for your trouble. How about that one? That, that was on there. Rebellion is equals witchcraft. And look at this next one. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. There's your root. And whose God are you serving when you're into stubbornness? Who is your God when you're stubborn? Yourself. You are your own God. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I can't tell you how many times I've run into this in this church, in my career in the church. I run into someone and they, they're doing something. I say, but you know, the Bible says da 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 about that. I don't care. Oh, I don't believe the Bible says that. I had a lady who couldn't even read tell me she didn't believe the Bible says that when I'm sitting there reading it to her. She had a great excuse. She couldn't read. But neither would she hear someone read it to her. Stubbornness. And I'm telling you, I just got to be honest with you. I, uh, I am seeing that so much right now. Stubbornness. I mean, again, the, just the basic things like the grocery store. My God. Um, you know, I just got to be honest with you. I can only tell you the things that God has shown me. All right, I'll just be I'm straight up here with you. I remember several years ago, this is a thousand years ago maybe, we were having fights in the church, you know, between family members and all that stuff. And uh, kids going crazy. I mean, they were just out of hand. And I went home after the service, and I mean, it was just driving me nuts. And I hit the couch. I wouldn't even eat. I just stuck my head in the corner of the couch as I lay there and just said, God, what is wrong? And he quoted me a scripture. God can do this. Sometimes he'll quote you a scripture. You don't even know that you knew it. If you read it, though, it's in your heart somewhere. He quoted me a scripture out of Isaiah. And it said this, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. And then he gave me a dream about that, about these Amazon women, how strong they were in the spirit, and their men were like little imps. And I mean, it was just a weird deal. And I even told a, a, a guy, uh, one of our preachers about, well, Paul, how I saw this, that, that uh, I saw him in a dream. He was preaching, and the women from his congregation were calling out while he was preaching and correcting him. He about fell out of his chair when I told him, because that was what was going on. He said, that happens all the time in the Hispanic church. I didn't know that. Hmm. Well, I preached that. I thought, well, everybody would love to hear this one. Huh. You know what reaction I got? Stubbornness. Ain't no go, ain't no man gonna tell me what I'm doing with my man. Is it still going on? Do you think? I tell you what, when you get into fear, ladies, it's amazing how women get bossy when they get afraid. 
Well, nobody can shout me down because nobody is here. But I, it's the truth. They get overprotective. They keep their kids at home. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Something might go wrong. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wash your hands. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. They'll run to the store and get all the eggs and toilet paper. But, by God, we can't go to church. This is ridiculous. I mean, really, it's ridiculous. And you can't shake it out of them. What is it? It's the root. You, folks, God has been on that for a long, long time. Psalms 139 came later. Maybe you should ask the honest question. Do I do that? I even went so far as to ask the women here a while back, ask your husband. Ask him this honest question without the threat that I'm going to get you later. Yeah. <laughs> do I try to control you? <laughs> for the few that are here, all the men are going, well, I would never ask that question. I know what I'd get for it. But boy, when we go to a men's retreat, ain't nobody holding back. Nobody held back. Why are you bitter? Because she tries to control me. Some male voice said, I think it was an angel. So in my point, it's like, golly. And when you get down to the crunch time, when the refiner's fire comes back to get another layer of dross off there, maybe you repented some, but you ain't there yet. Folks, when it comes, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a group of people like the Philadelphia church. They will follow him wherever he goes. There's no deceit in them at all. They're completely obedient to their master, to their Lord, to their husband. Paul sent me this the other day. Get a load of this one. I'm sure he has some his own mind about some of the stuff he got. But look here. He said, I, uh, I felt this from the Lord that the enemy is trying to move the church to make decisions out of fear and not faith. That a spirit of self-reliance, loaded up on whatever, is attacking the bride. And we are counting on what we have stored up for ourselves. It's either true or it's not true. And we as a nation have said, we don't need to get dressed yet. I will not dress myself like a bride. But instead I'm going to put on my armor. I'll fight you in the store. And then he says this. He's a lot more to this. And he says, when I got home, I was at church. I went back to the church. And the Holy Spirit said to me, get this, the bride wants to be the groom. Dig it. It pierced my heart. The Holy Spirit then showed me how the church has not come under the covering of the Father. That's Submission and obedience. And they have not prepared themselves and dressed to be given to the bridegroom. What do y'all think about that? See, that sounds a lot like what God showed me about two years ago about as for my people. So here he is visiting it again. And and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical. Maybe I've come across critical. I'm sorry if I have. But I know that God has been visiting me with some old stuff. You know, like I thought, wow, I, can't, I, I haven't seen this thing in five years. Five years. Felt really guilty about it. It took me several days to get it out of my spirit. Five years. And it, it humbled me. That was good. And I made me look again at what I'm seeing. I'm seeing everybody dealing again with their iniquity. With the root which produces whatever's wrong. And it, it shrouds itself in all kinds of emotional stuff to keep you insulated from God getting in there and changing the thing. And you won't obey. Am I making sense to y'all? So here's some of the stuff I'm seeing. I'm just, I'm telling you what I'm seeing. This refining fire is bringing up this stuff, uh, okay, here's some of the issues, old issues. It's faith versus self-reliance. So why do you take thought for the things that you're gonna eat? The clothes you're gonna wear? 
Your father knows you have need of these things. He's going to give it to you. Oh, no, i got to go down to Thriftway and Walmart. Can't go to church, but 5,000 people at Walmart, and I'm good. Praise God. I mean, just consider your ways. Don't be so stubborn. This drives me crazy. I got more. Trust versus fear. How about that one? Oh, God. And I know God's been on this trust issue for quite a while. Legalism versus liberty of a spiritual son. I'm going to go back to the law and make sure I keep everything. That ain't going to happen, though. And the issue of authority. Oh, my God. The bride and the bridegroom. Husband and wife. Joel's army. Stay in your lane. Just do what you're supposed to do. I had uh, someone text me there a while back. They were dealing with it was a, it was a a mother and 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 a, and a son and you know and, and the the father figure there was trying to correct what was going on with the son. He was being a typical son, <laughs> you know, lazy and. Play games. That's what that's what we do as guys, right? You know, if, if I was still that age, I'd be doing it too. And uh, it didn't get a good reaction from the mother. And uh, in fact, she really threw a fit. And uh, and then this comment: you can't reason with her when she can't get her way. Y'all hear that? You can't reason with her when she can't get her way. Can you be reasoned with when it's not going to be your way? I'm asking you an honest question. Consider your ways. When God resists you on something, how many times do you have to be stricken on an issue? I I, I don't know because I'm 68. I'm still getting pumped. Five years. I thought, oh, my God, that's gone. No, no, no. Hot shot. So I'm, I'm with you. Let's repent. Let's do Psalm 139 again. Let's remember, it's like Psalm 138, that precedes Psalm 139. In times of trouble, you are going to perfect that which concerns me. You're going to go deeper. Okay, okay. Because I want you, no matter what it costs me. And here's what it's going to cost me. I just have to obey. No more game playing. You're either doing it, or you're fighting someone. And that's, there's your acid test. Are you obeying? Then there's no fighting. It's that simple. James says, where does fighting come in from among you? It's because you want your way. You're butting up heads against somebody else that wants their way. Or maybe they don't want their way. They just want God's way. Bam. Or is there fighting? Ask yourself the honest question. And I'm, I've hammered the women enough, but let me ask the men. Are you leading? Or are you just being a knucklehead? Just saying. Turn with me one, one scripture. I know this. If you ask God on a Psalm 139 moment to search your heart, don't you believe that he will answer you? And don't you believe that he will answer you in love? First John chapter three. See, that's the God I know. That's my father. Do you know him as your father? I saw, um, some old pictures the other day. And it reminded me of the love that a father has for his children. It's real. He don't want to kill you. That's not your father. Not your heavenly father. And if earthly fathers do the right thing by their kids as good as they can, which we do, how much more? Is your heavenly father going to deal with you the right way? 
He's trying to form you and shape you into his, his child, his son, his daughter, his bride for his bridegroom. He's doing this in love. But he will not be mocked. And we ought to quit the mockery. Well, I'm not going to do what you say, even though, you know, you, you're, the, you're the head of the household. How many women really believe that? They say those words, and then they act like it's not true. When it push comes to shove. And the men are over there, my dream about the Amazon women, the, the men are over there playing video games or some stupid thing and not growing up. So we're all, we're all guilty here. It's time to do business again with God. And let the New York people deal with what they got going. But the Christians should be digging deeper and gaining from this. And here's your attitude with your God. Chapter 3, verse 20. If our heart condemns us. So if you do a Psalm 139 thing, say, God, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. And he comes back with, yes, there is. And boy, you know it. It, Your conscience condemns you. What happened to our conscience, folks? You know, when you... (laughs) I was... I gotta, I gotta bring this out. We were talking to some, some, some guys the other day and they did some stuff. And, uh, you know, and they got a rea- reaction from some of the people in the church. Like, don't do that again. That was stupid. And they were trying to, kind of, to defend themselves. Well, I, you know, I fought. Which is a dead, dead sign to me. You knew it was wrong. If you already had your argument ready, you already knew that somebody was going to disagree with you. That is your conscience. Amen. That was, a, that was for free for those that know who I'm talking about. You know, don't give me your excuse before I even get a chance to condemn you. So here's here's how God goes. I'm, I, you, you wanna, he's going to give him an invitation to come into your heart and search it. Please do that. And you're going to find it. You'll find that dead gum thing. I guarantee you'll find it. And your heart will condemn you. I love this next line. If it's that way, know this. God is greater than your heart. That's good. See, love always prevails. Love covers the multitude of sin. Love takes it away. God is greater if you're willing and obedient. Don't play games with him. It's not a game. So you can get out through this moment and play again tomorrow. No. God, but God is greater than your heart. And I love this next part. And he knows all things. See, God always knew that was in you. It's one of the great revelations of my life. God has always known. All through my life, no matter what age I was or how, how developed I was spiritually, how much more I grew or didn't grow, he always knew me. And he knew what was in there. And some of the things that was in there wasn't good. But it wasn't time to deal with it yet. Jesus even told his disciples that. He said, I have many things to say to you, but you're not able to receive them now. But the Holy Spirit will come and he will show you. There's a timing with God on when he brings things out of you. But those things were always in you. And what was his reaction to you during all that time where you had all this bad stuff still in you? He loved you. He really did love you and want to be with you. And he just covered that and acted like it wasn't there. And there comes a moment in life where it's one of those things that he said, okay, now I want to take that out of you. He always knew it was there. He never rejected you while it was. And he's not going to reject you now. But he wants you to grow up. Amen? So let us pray. And if you would, you know, wherever you're at, just, I wish you would do this. God, here we are again. And our prayer is simple. Search my heart. My God. Show me what you see. 
Show me what you see. Compare my heart to your heart. Because I'm supposed to be like you. Draw me closer. Take away this thing that keeps worrying in my, in my flesh. And I bow my knees and I lift out my hands in submission because I don't want to be my God. I don't want that. And where I am being that way, my stubbornness, I confess to you. God, you know. You've told me personally that. I know it was in me. And it probably still has places there. I know this. But I know you do too. And I know that when you want to deal, you will. And so here we are. I'm willing to deal. And I'm willing to turn and repent and confess and anything you would have me do. But let me start with just a very simple thing. Help me to obey you. I know it's a mockery to you for me to tell you I love you and then just flat disobey you. I don't want to do that anymore. So in these areas that you're dealing with us, oh God, I pray, grace us so that we can do the will of our Father, just like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hopefully we'll see you all in this building soon. Amen.